ArchD1079 Life. James here with you. Amazing show today. Sister Bernadette Kylie and Teresa Hudson are in. We're going we're gonna to talk about the Gospel of Mark today. This is going to be really big. This is a very different thing to what we'd usually do on ArchD, but it really comes off the back of an amazing workshop that I went to. Kind of wasn't sure what it was going to be like, thinking, okay, we're going to be talking about the Bible today. I've got no real idea of what it's going to be like. But all of a sudden, really um, out of nowhere, Within a day, this gospel, the gospel of Mark in particular, was brought alive to me. Now, I feel really selfish that I was one of only 10 people that day who got a chance to hear that and got a chance to experience that. So I really have been trying now for for many years to get all of our planets to align so that Bernadette can come on and have a chat to us today about exactly what it was. And look, I guarantee this is going to be amazing. So please do stick around. Sister Bernadette Kylie, thank you so much for coming along today to discuss this with us. Pleasure, James. And Teresa Hudson is also here today. Teresa Hudson is someone that I do work with. She wasn't here on that day back then. I think you're probably uh, teaching at that particular point. You're probably out in the school. But um, Teresa is the religious education consultant in charge of the Made in the Image of God program. And it's just wonderful to have you here today, Teresa. So thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Now, we are here today because... I wanted to discuss exactly what it was that we discussed on this day because the way that I looked at it, there was like a group of like 10 of us and only we got to see it. And I really want everyone to have a chance to hear this and, and to get involved in this conversation as well. Now, in preparing for this day, I have to say to Bernadette, I'm sorry, I'm doing a lot of talking in the intro, so I apologize in advance. But in preparation for the day, I was thinking about, I need to really get a primer on Gospel of Mark. I really don't think I know enough about it just off the bat. So I got on the internet and I Googled and I sort of thought, I need a good book uh, about Jesus in Mark's gospel or something. I was putting these random search words. The first thing that came up was Jesus in Mark's gospel by Bernadette Kylie. <laughs> and I thought, I, that'll do. And it just turned out we had one in our library here. So uh, so I went and read it. And it's an amazing, um, it's an amazing book, Bernadette. I've got to say, it's like only about 100, 110 pages long. Mm. And it speaks in such easily accessible language. Was that the idea of the book when you wrote it? Yes, it was. It was an attempt to make Mark's gospel accessible, I guess, and perhaps not to try everything, but to focus on the character of Jesus in that gospel. You'd probably be aware the series um, included Jesus in Matthew, Jesus Mm. in Luke, and so on. And in itself, that's a good thing, because sometimes we think there's only one image of Jesus that we can have, for example, and yet the gospels are very free and easy with the character of Jesus and construct him in the way it suits them best. Yeah, and you did your PhD, actually, on the Gospel of Mark. I did. What is it about it that really speaks to you, particularly? Well, this is this might sound strange, but when I began my honours work, I wanted to do something in New Testament, and the Gospel of Mark was the only one I hadn't done in my undergraduate studies. <laughs> So it was as easy as That's that. no excuse to go all the way to PhD level with it, though. I know. I just hadn't done it yet. That's exactly right. I hadn't. But mind you, once I started, and I wasn't all that attracted to it for some reason. It just seemed, you know, kind of short and blunt and all the rest of it. And I really liked Matthew's gospel, and everyone loves John. Um, but anyway, once I started, um, that's where I stayed and loved it. Yeah. James and I were speaking earlier and I was just talking about um, working with year eights for a number of years and often um, they will say to me, all right, Miss Hudson, if we're going to suspend our disbelief and enter into this conversation about God with you, 
help us to get past the fact that if you're telling us God is, you know, all powerful, all loving, all compassionate, why is there suffering in the world? Um, And I thought that that was a good link into, as I was reading uh, your book, Jesus in Mark's Gospel, because we do see Jesus as fully human, as much as fully divine. I I mean, the question your year eights had for you is one that adults I've taught, university students I've taught, everybody asks that question. And I, I don't think any religion or any philosophical system's ever been able to answer it, to be honest. And that's why I think Mark's gospel is so important because Jesus really does, well, he suffers in all of them, we know that. Throughout Mark's gospel, he suffers from being misunderstood. The disciples are thick, they don't get it. They really don't. And the other gospel writers try and make them look a little bit better. Mark's not interested. (laughs) So, you know, Jesus suffers then. And, you know, when he dies, this is the big telling point in Mark. Um, And we don't get it so well in the English, but Jesus actually screams out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's not putting it on. That's how he feels. For example, in John's Gospel, the one that's read in Catholic churches on Good Friday, Jesus is very much in control. He declares things are finished and dies at that point. So you don't get the screaming out into almost nothingness that you get in Mark. So Jesus, you know, God didn't come and rescue him either. And nor will God, I guess, come, you know, beetling down to save us out of our own human catastrophes that we make or even the ones we don't make. That's the great mystery that God is in it with us but won't save us from it, can't. But you've still got in your writing a reflection on the fact that suffering doesn't have the final word. Yeah. And it's a very hope-filled message Mm. too. And I guess in a time where we're struggling now with trying to make sense of, um, you know, the huge movement of people seeking asylum um, and incredible suffering, Mm. that, you know, there's that hope-filled message and that comes across in your writing too. And I think that's one of the great gifts of Mark's gospel because it finishes, if we take the original ending, at the women running away from the tomb, saying nothing, for they were terrified. End of story. That's how he finishes it. And everyone knows from having read the other gospels that the resurrection news did reach people, that these women did proclaim this news somehow, somewhere. But it's not told in Mark's gospel and he finishes it there quite deliberately I think not just me a lot of people think because really what he's doing is throwing the ball back into our court and he's saying yep it's really tough this whole suffering resurrection thing but now you've got to go you've got to proclaim it you've got to live it and that's what I think is the power of that ending that it it hands it over to us uh, not us on our own because he's going before us to Galilee but he'll be there but he's not going to put a cloak over it or give us an anesthetic against it. Bernadette, could you tell us a little bit about uh, the context? Because I think a lot of people believe that kind of the narrative story of Jesus is something that is just kind of in the Bible and worked out, but it really is an amalgamation of all four Gospels, which were all written at different times by different people for different communities for different needs and purposes of that. Can you talk a little bit about that and where Mark's Gospel fits into that whole story. Sure. And that I think that's really important to to note. So 
most scholars agree that Marx was the earliest of the four, so round about 65, 70 of the Common Era. And the reality in northern Palestine, or in Galilee at the time, was the outbreak of the Roman War against the Jewish people. And it was a time of terrible suffering for all who were involved or caught up in that. So a lot of scholars think that Mark's gospel came out of that situation of suffering. There's another group of scholars who think it might have been written in Rome um, around the time of the persecution by Nero. And so that kind of suffering is reflected in the gospel. It comes out of a community that's suffering and a community that's finding it really hard to believe and also to articulate their belief in who Jesus is. So that's why the disciples are made to look so uncomprehending because Mark's community couldn't get it either and why they're frightened and why those women are terrified at the end because Mark's community is terrified. So the gospel is written so that this community of people who believe in Jesus can have their faith strengthened. They're never written to convince people who didn't believe. Now, I was watching again. I've got back into watching Star Trek Voyager Mm -hmm. because it's uh, it's on Netflix now. Netflix is now buying all these great shows now. It's absolutely fantastic. And the episode that I saw last night, really strangely in the lead up until today, was there's an episode where um, they encounter this alien species that send their their dead people through through this void. I'm getting there, Teresa. Don't worry. (laughs) Where are you going? With, this, James. Uh, with the with the expectation that they're going to wake up um, still fully alive and fully human on the other side, but all of their deceased relatives and all that kind of stuff will be there. So it's it's essentially a kind of a literal afterlife. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, he deliberately resists going into the idea that the kingdom of heaven, uh, the kingdom of God, the reign of God is something that is fully defined and gone into. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, Mark has that term, the kingdom of God, or we like to refer to it, as you say, as the reign of God, because kingdom and kings tend to have oppressive suggestions for us. However, what Jesus envisaged was, so if you talked about, as they experienced the imperial rule of Rome, the imperial rule of God, if you wanted to take it like that, was meant in Jesus's view to replace it. So whatever was oppressive, excluding, unjust, for example, would be replaced by this reign of God, which intended wholeness, shalom, everything you need for good living for people. So yeah, it wasn't a pie in the sky when you die thing, um, nor was it, uh, as you said, nor was it brought to any kind of conclusion in Jesus's lifetime. It's probably good to say he inaugurated it and worked for it, mm. um, but it's still, the work is still being done. Mm. Just as an afterthought to that, where did the perception come from of this idea of heaven as a kind of sort of like fully visible afterlife, so to speak? Yeah. Um, oh, heavens. Heavens. I'm not <laughs> sure. But one of the difficulties is when, as we know, Matthew when he wrote his gospel, we think had a a version of Mark's, a written version. And Matthew would be very keen not to use the word God. As a faithful Jew, he wouldn't use that word. He would want to replace it with something else. So when he came across reign of God or kingdom of God, he changed it to kingdom of heaven. Now, by that, he meant the same as Mark meant, but it did come to suggest 
for readers later on something more of a an afterlife dimension as some kind of reward rather than us working to create the reign of God here in the present in our own history that probably doesn't answer the question about where we got the idea of afterlife from but I asked Teresa can answer that one too. <laughs> I think that's. Re- I think you've explained that really well, and I was just really fascinated, especially going back to your book again and getting that whole idea of the reign of God and, and, and things like that. There's a great scene in um inside the actor's studio where Martin Sheen, who a lot of people may know or not know, is actually a very devout Catholic, and at the end of every show, um, James Lipton always asks a same series of questions that were based on this French talk show host that he really loved, and one of the questions were, if there's a God, what do you expect them to say uh, when you arrive at the at the pearly gates and he totally floors uh, James Lipton and the audience when he says you said um, um, I don't believe we go to heaven I believe we become heaven yeah. it was very powerful very powerful mm. statement um, and I don't think he quite knew what to, what, what to say. I was gonna say it's a very human question you know it's a question that we've been asking from you know since the beginning and I think we'll keep asking uh, it's one that really captures people's imaginations though mm. so it's a great question to ask if you're wanting to you know open yourself to the strange the story um, that we had, the stories that we have in our tradition. And again, um, working with Year Eights is such a privilege because they're, you know, they are sparked by their imagination and they want to ask, you know, what happens when we die? And, you know, if we believe in God, do we believe in heaven? Is it tangible? Is it a real thing? And I ended up working with the art teacher with my Year Eights on an inquiry into, you know, is heaven a real and tangible thing? Wow. Incredibly scary question because what if they decided that the end no and you know some of them that's how they are communicating with a deceased relative or yeah. you know mm-hmm. um but the art teacher did some great work looking at how some of the stereotypical images of heaven we have have come to be a part of our mainstream culture. Mm. You know, we see them in the, you know, Philly ads. You know, we see, you know, the hand of God coming out of the clouds. So, yeah, she talked to them about how the artists of the time during the Renaissance period were invited to express their interpretation of these stories. So we decided as a class, well, why don't we revisit them and see if we were coming up from scratch based on what we see in here, what would we come up with? You know, and they came up with that this is about now. We're called to something and this is really uncomfortable because it's asking us to name the things that are not of love. It's asking Mm. us to name the things that are and to do something about it, you know, and that resonated with what you wrote about um, Mark's gospel as well, Bernadette, because it's comforting and hugely unsettling. Both together. Mm. Together. Yeah. The parables that are actually written about Jesus and the things he does and, and the way that he um, walks through his life, they're beautifully written, aren't they? They're, mm. they're really stunningly written. Mm. And obviously the, the, the layers of meaning that are involved in that are, are very deep and complex to relay a very difficult and complex message. Mm. That's true. And, and I think that's a good point you've touched on because Mark is a writer. He's not an editor. He doesn't just thread beads on a string, you know, and say, oh, we'll have a healing story here. Now we'll have a parable and now we'll have... He doesn't do that. He he writes, he's a self-conscious writer, so he has an agenda and he wants to construct stories and sequences of stories in a particular way. Mm. Does it ever 
might be a bit of a personal question, but does it ever concern you that quite often these gospels and these Bible stories that, that, that are read aren't always really explained in terms of their context when people read them? People read yeah. them almost as a literal interpretation yeah, right. of how people would go. They, they, they look at something now and, and see the word chair, whereas the word chair may have had a completely different meaning back then and completely mm. different context because mm. it completely changes it can. the interpretation in some instances. Mm. I think that's true. That's not to deny that good people have read these texts for 2,000 years and they've nourished their lives. This is without any formal study of them, and I understand that. However, you know, now that we've got these tools for understanding the scriptures in a different way, it makes me sometimes really cranky that as Catholics we haven't had this kind of opportunity opened up for us in any systematic way. And it's not, I mean, priests don't do that in homilies. That's not the place for it. But adult faith education has often failed us, I think, in not giving us the tools for understanding a gospel. And so the literal meaning is the easiest one or the one I heard at school 15 years ago might still be the one. Mm. And sometimes, you know, the one I heard at school 15 years ago might be fine. But, you know, Teresa, you'd know as a teacher, once you give students the tools for understanding it, um, they'd know from their own work in literacy, you can ask the same kind of questions of a gospel text and get really rich kinds of answers. Having said that, you can't just... You know, you can't just kind of go with the first thing you thought of when you jumped out of bed this morning. Oh, that'll be good. I mean, you, it has to, the text has to bear the weight of your interpretation too. It, it has to be grounded in it yeah. somehow. And it's not rocket science. That's the other thing. It's something we can all participate in and say, you know, what was Mark's Jesus doing here? Or what was Matthew's Jesus? You know, that kind yeah. of language straight away opens up the richness of all of the four Gospels. Now, I was really struck, you know, in going back and, and, and reading over your book, and uh, there's a passage right at the very start where you say, if the Gospels are ready to live among us and live they must, then it is important for us then to dig them out of the concrete in which we have often set them and to mm-hmm. bring them into dialogue with the stuff of our lives. In this process, both text and reader are changed. The text is rescued from its role as a rule book, a function it was never intended to have. It becomes instead both a window onto a Christian community different from ours and a mirror in which we can view our own lives, a sounding board for our own Christian experience. So how then do we do that most effectively in your view? Oh, I thought you'd know that. Um, (laughs) Oh, yeah. Look, there are so many um, teenagers who are answering that question for us every day um well you know i was just looking at an app that was developed by a teenager just yesterday it came up in my social media feed and it's an app that's called sit with us Mm -hmm. i mean that's what i saw this what jesus is saying in these stories Mm. come and sit with me Mm. and yeah it's an app for children to nominate that they either need someone to sit with or to see that there is someone that they can sit with. So in your mind, this is the gospel alive and well in our world? Absolutely, because it's calling out what is not of God, which is to exclude, and it's calling out what is of God, which is to love and include. Well, guys... I just want to say a huge thank you to you both for being here today. It's been really, really great. Um, 
<laughs> uh, Sister Bernadette Kylie, uh, wonderful. Uh, you're very, very busy and I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us here today. Thank you, James. And it's been thank, lovely. And Thanks, I've got to say Teresa. too... No, thank you. <laughs> uh, thank you so much too, Teresa. It's been amazing having you here. Um, just wonderful. If anyone has an, has an opportunity to get a hold of this book, Jesus in Mark's Gospel, we have them here. Um, if you come to uh, Catholic Education in Thurberton, we have a big library called um, Chris, C-R-I-S, and it has many copies of this incredible book because I think it's out of print now. Um, but it if you is, want yeah. an amazing 100-page, really insightful um, um, view and window into into Mark's gospel from someone who is just so incredibly insightful and breaks it down in a way that really anyone could understand with such wisdom, it's this book. So thank you, Bernadette, for, for writing this book and, and giving us this gift. It was a pleasure then, and I'm <laughs> glad it still has some relevance now, James. Um, you are with RHD. We are here on 107.9 Life every Wednesday night from 9, every Saturday night from 10. Stay tuned for more of your music and we will see you again in a few days bye bye